This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, December 18, 2022. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. Brian Mistro, founder and president of an organization known as the One Nation Movement, joins us today to talk about their mission of strengthening the civic infrastructure of our democracy, specifically by focusing on restoring confidence in our elections, environmental solutions, and fiscal responsibility. But first, you know, at the risk of sounding like Captain Obvious, did you know that money injects corruption into our government? If you think about all that money being pumped into campaigns of our elected officials, you naturally have to ask, what's the catch? Well, the catch is this. Those that pump millions of dollars into political campaigns expect something in return. And the tragedy is that we, the people, are on the hook to pay the taxes, but we get little, if any, representation. It's just the people with the big dollars that get the representation, not us. If this doesn't sound fair or democratic, then check out Move to Amend. Move to Amend is an organization dedicated to passing a constitutional amendment to end corporate rule and the corrupting influence of big money in elections. This proposed amendment simply states that corporations are not people, and money does not equal free speech. For more information, you can find Move to Amend online at movetoamend.org. Brian Mistro joins us now to talk about the One Nation Movement, an organization he founded to help strengthen the civic infrastructure of our democracy. Brian has a lot of experience in the political world. He is not only the president of One Nation Movement, but he's also the president of PBM firm LLC, which specializes in regulatory affairs. Back in 2015, he founded a new political party called the American Moderates. And a few years later, American Moderates merged with other parties across the nation to form the Alliance Party, which technically is now the fifth largest political party in the country. Uh, Brian led the Alliance Party as its national chairman from its inception until late 2019. And then in early 2020, he worked with several other activists to found One Nation Movement. He's remained heavily involved with national politics and continues to work with other leaders across the country to find solutions to the most critical issues facing America. Brian is a graduate of Eastfield College and Baylor University. So, Brian, with that introduction, uh, thank you for joining us here at Democracy on the Move, and welcome to the program. No, thank you for having me on, Dan. I look forward to it. Okay. So let's dive into the – I mean, before we dive into the details, can you give us a 30,000-foot view of, you know, what is the One Nation Movement and, and what is its purpose, and, and how do you see it affecting our collective political destiny in our nation? Yeah, sure. So One Nation Movement is a nonprofit 501c3, and we uh, were organized a couple of years ago because we – as conservatives uh, recognized that there were three key areas that would affect Americans no matter their socioeconomic position. That would be our democracy or democracy initiatives, the national debt, and climate change. And so we formed together, again, we're, we're I guess what we'd all be called Reagan Republicans. <laughs> but we, we got together and, and you know we wanted to push back on uh, some of the concerns that many were sharing about our elections being rigged or fraud, which they were not, mm -hmm. uh, 
Um, but, you know, the national debt has always been something that Republicans have talked about, but, you know, in all honesty, really haven't done a whole lot about. No. And climate change has traditionally been shunned by Republicans in general. So we wanted to come at it from, you know, the, the right after and towards the right. Mm-hmm. And so we organized a group of us, men, um, that were politicians, policymakers, uh, national TV personalities. And uh, we wanted to do, the reason we did that is we want to make sure that our message had the right people and the right, you know, oomph behind it mm-hmm. to really get noticed and to get into the policy circles. So on our board, for example, um, it was Mike Madrid, who was the co-founder of the Lincoln Project, Susan Del Percio from MSNBC. I think she's literally on MSNBC right now as we're recording this. Oh, okay. uh, Trey Grayson was the Republican Secretary of State for Kentucky. Uh, Rosario Marin, the 41st Treasurer of the United States. Uh, Bill O'Reilly, who's William F. Buckley's nephew. So this is just some of our board members, but I, you know, in my opinion, I think for uh, our space and what we do. We have one of the strongest boards uh, in the country in what we do. So, again, our focus is to really put some truth out there into these things and be able to affect change in our democracy, the national debt, and climate change. Good. I want to hit on all three of those pretty soon, but um, I want to ask a couple more questions first. One, one is a clarifying question. What is a 501c3, and how does that differ from all the other types of uh, nonprofits out there? Yeah, so for again from 10,000 feet, a 501c3 is a type of nonprofit in which any of the monies that you give to a C3 are tax deductible. So if you give us, you know, $20,000, you get to take $20,000 off your taxes. Um, I'm going to generalize for just a second. So um, that, that's the positive. Also, any monies that we give, unless you're a high donor, um, are are not publicly released. And even if you are a high donor, those only go to the IRS. So the reporting structure for us is effectively it's almost like giving money to the church and that, mm-hmm. you know, you get to write it off your taxes. So the negative of a 501c3 mm-hmm. is that they cannot be politically active and they cannot lobby at all. Now, mm-hmm. it's it, it, there there is... A little bit. I know that some, if there's some of your listeners would say, oh, but you know, this type, if you set it up like this, you can do 5% lobbying or something. So I'm generalizing, but in general, that's uh, uh, what a 501c3 does. Now, since we can't be politically active and we can't lobby, Mm -hmm. what we do, what we do at One Nation Movement is try to educate. We try to to push out truth. Um, We we don't want to affect any elections, but we do want to reassure people on these three areas we work in. Um, educate them on what's happening, maybe mm-hmm. even put out some policy solutions and things that we think might be able to you know, fix some of the issues facing, you know, facing our country. So that's, that's in general, again, from 10,000 feet, that's mm-hmm. what a 501c3 is, what it can and what it cannot do. Okay. I hear a lot about 501c4s also, and I don't want to digress too much on this, but, I, but I, are, is, are the laws a little bit different there, like in terms of lobbying or anything like that with, with a c4? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, on a 501c3, uh, the biggest worries for the IRS is that uh, you're either going to self-deal or that you're going to uh, money launder. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, that's, that's, that's their biggest concern. So it's, it's really a nightmare of setting it up and keeping it going. Mm. Um, 
So one of the things that the IRS, and this is important uh, to differentiate between the two, but the IRS uh, specifically has you file your Articles of Incorporation and bylaws. And in a 501c3, mm-hmm. not a single not a single person on the board can ever be given a single penny. You cannot be compensated or given anything of mm-hmm. value ever. Wow. So anybody mm-hmm. that's on a C3 that's on the board of a C3, no matter what the C3 is, you should feel good in knowing these people are doing this because they're trying to do the right thing, not to make money. Mm. Now, let's talk about – so a C4 is – it's again, it's a 501C4. A lot of people slang it as a C4. So the difference between that is that whereas a 501C3 cannot be politically active at all – a 501c4 can lobby and be politically active. It can lobby 100% of the time, mm. um, and it can be politically active as long as it's not the majority of what it does. So that's the positives of it. The negative is that while it's also a nonprofit, any monies that you give a C4 in general are not tax deductible. Oh, okay. um, here's one other thing that I'll, that I'll clarify on a C4. Um, on a C3, we do have to report in for higher donors to the IRS. C4 does not. And so if any of your listeners that are you know, worried about democracy initiative or worried about the state of our republic, if they, if they see – certainly they're, they're looking at this and saying, wait a second. If they don't have to do any reporting or anything like that, this is a dark money, uh, uh, something you could use dark money as, as a venue. And yeah. Absolutely, yeah. you could. So um, – but again, it's, it technically can't be 100% politically active. It cannot be the majority of what it does. Most 501c3s also have a 501c4 that they use for law. Oh, so, okay. Again, in, in, gen, in, in generalities, that's what the two differences are. Okay. Well, I'm glad you said that straight for me because I've always wondered about that. I've seen both types of organizations out there, and I didn't know what their, what their limitations were. Uh, very good. So let's get back to uh, One Nation Movement here. And you talk about uh, being conservative. The One Nation Movement consists of, according to his website, consists of principled conservative practitioners. And you went on a list of people a short time ago that uh, that satisfy that criteria. Um, but to me, the word conservative is a little bit confusing because I think it's getting kind of overloaded. As an example, you know, people will associate the Republican Party with conservatives and, and as per what you just said before, you know, they, they're supposed to be conservative in terms of the national debt. But uh, has that really been where the Republicans have been for like the last four decades? Uh, so um, in your view, has the conservatism changed in America? Is there, is there a changing definition for it? And, and furthermore, it, it just, I think it's kind of interesting to see, do we see conservatives staying in the Republican Party? Or are they jumping ship and moving over to being independent? Or, or what about Democrats that are being conservative? Are, are they also jumping ship, maybe going to the Republican Party? What's going on there? Yeah, you know, that's, a, that's um, some great insight. And I'll, I'll try to provide what we know and, you know, what we've done in through polling and for what we do, you know, as a living here. But, um, yeah, what does conservatism mean? I, at this point, um, I'm not sure that that's even a good <laughs> word for it because yeah. – you know, um, I, as I said earlier in the podcast, I said, you know, we're all Reagan Republicans. So Reagan Republicans would be, you know, small government, free trade, peace through strength, you know, constitutional focused, um, you know, building strong allies across the world. That's that's the typical conservatism. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> that doesn't look a whole lot like the new Republican Party. To me. No, not at all. Um, no. And so what we've seen is that um, we are in what's called a political realignment. And I'm going to toss out the name of a book. I did not write it, but I do know the writer very well. Um, the, the book is called The Next Realignment, and it's written by Frank DiStefano, D-I-S-T-E-F-A-N-O. It's a fantastic book. But in general, what he does is he looks since the founding of our country um, about the different times that our country has gone through a political realignment. And that would be when somebody that might be voting for, uh, you know, the Democrats, which is over, now becomes a Republican. Okay, Mm -hmm. the the two parties realign. So we are living through that right now. We are living through one of these right now. And we've had about four or five of these. And so if you look back at the old, you know, Southern Democrat, what was the old Southern Democrat from the 1900s? They were uh, populist. Yeah. They were rural. They were religious. Um, they were predominantly white, almost exclusively white. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were nationalists. Um, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm using my little quotation fingers here. They are religious, very religious. And so, um, you know, those what would have typically been the old – Democrats, and what would also be an offshoot of the Dixiecrats, yeah. um, is who does that remind you of now? Does that remind you of anything in the Democratic Party? You no, know, they've completely switched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's. I mean, it's, if you look at that, the new what I'll call the MAGA Republican and Make America Great Again Republican is almost a rebranded Dixiecrat. Yeah. Um, it's you know, it's how often do your you or your you know your listeners. How often have you seen a Confederate flag flying before 2016? Right. And since 2016, how often do you see them out there all the time? Again, it's it's out there in plain sight. And so to your point, what has happened is that a lot of the educated, um, you know, suburbanites, et cetera, that for a long time, you know, were part of the Reagan Republicans, rural Buckley Republicans, uh, most of us have left the party and either become independents or we're now moving over to be Democrats. And so, again, to your point, what is a conservative? I consider what we do as conservative and what we believe in as conservative. I don't mm-hmm. think what the new MAGA Republican Party is conservative at all. But, you know, when we start putting labels on things, I think sometimes it helps better to say these are the ideals that we believe in instead of just saying, oh, they're a conservative. Republicans are always conservative because as we've seen just in the last two realignments, that's not necessarily the case at all. Yeah. Yeah. I've kind of noticed that, especially when it comes to the, to the deficit, it seems to balloon underneath Republicans. And I think a lot of that has to do with, with cutting taxes and at the same time, growing the military. I mean, we have a budget now, of what, $850 billion per year in our mm-hmm. military. Um, mm-hmm. that's come at quite a large expense to the average person out there. That's a lot of money. Um, sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, it's, it's interesting though. But we also see people like Kristen Cinema who are jumping ship also. And she's an interesting case in point in a sense that she started off being, I would consider to be radical, uh, radical progressive in a sense. And she still has a lot of progressivism in her, but she's really moved I mean, she moved from the Green Party into the Democratic Party, and now she's moving out of the Democratic Party into the Independent Party. It's like, uh, I guess maybe people just aren't finding a home in either one of the parties at this point. 
Yeah, you know, she's an interesting example. Um, anybody that's involved in politics, you know, when I heard what she did, was I surprised a little bit? But uh, using her as a perfect example, um, what she did was a brilliant political move because there was no way she was going to survive a primary in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, she already had two people that are already going to primary her. Yeah. And, you know, this is going to this is going to be an area. Arizona is going to be a place that One Nation Movement um, and our C4 as well, which is called One Nation Votes. It's going to be an area that we're going to be very, very involved in the last next two years because um, Arizona does not have a runoff, which means that if three people run, whoever gets the majority of the votes wins. Wow. Yeah. Uh, versus other, you know, versus some other states to where, you know, like in Georgia, to where, you know, you will have a runoff. Uh, depending upon, you know, uh, how the election turns out. So the point being is that if she runs, if she runs as an independent in Arizona, um, you know, she's not going to get a single MAGA Republican voter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're not going to vote for her. Anything, she'll pull off the the moderate Republicans or the moderate, more likely, uh, the moderate Democrats. Um, and if the Democrats also run a senator, uh, then what you will most likely see is a, you know, is a Republican win. Now, it's not that we should be that concerned about, you know, uh, you know I, that we want Democrats to win or Republicans to win. However, what we don't want to win are people that do not support our Constitution, mm-hmm. and that they do not support our democracy, and that they openly lie about being cheated and fraud and, uh, you know, that the, the elections are rigged. Those are the type of people that have no business in the public sector. And I don't care if they're Republican. I don't care if they're Democrat. We don't care, but we do not want them uh, as elected officials for our country. Yeah. And we have seen a whole lot of those types of people, Dan, running for office around the country. And um, Arizona is going to be another really hot one because um, – there literally have been people that have run there that have said if they're elected, they will put their thumb on the scale to, to push and make sure that their particular party wins no matter how the votes turn out. Yeah. So but now you understand why what we do as, you know, again, I say Republicans or conservatives or whatever you want to call us anymore. Um, you know, what we do is so important because – We've got to push back against those voices. We need reasonable, sane people in office, and some of these people have no business in doing it. That's why what we do is so important. Well, and and that kind of dovetails into my next topic here, which is uh, I call it election anxiety, because, you know, as part of your mission, the One Nation Movement seeks to restore confidence in our elections. And every time I hear that, I have a heart attack because (laughs) whenever I hear it, I think, okay, they're going to start talking about, you know, voter fraud and so on. But I think you guys are on the complete opposite side of that thing. I, I think my fears are not justified insofar as your organization goes. So, so could you go into a little bit more detail about what the One Nation movement means when they when they talk about you know restoring confidence in our elections? Yeah. So uh, again, kind of dovetailing what we were just talking about um, across the country um, and in the presidential election. Uh, there have been candidates that have been accusing that the, our elections are rigged, mm-hmm. um, that there was massive fraud, uh, and pushing things that are absolutely not true. There was no amount of fraud sizable enough to change any election outcome in our country, period, and certainly not the presidential outcome. Right. 
And so when these people do this, it starts breaking down the fabric and trust in our electoral system. And you know what can happen when that happens? When when people start losing faith in their democracy, um, you know, they can become violent. They might even go march on the Capitol. They might even try to you know, break into the House of Representatives or the Senate. And lo and behold, what did we have on January 6th? Right. right. So when we look at what our organization does, again, and why this is so important, is we need to reassure people that the elections are not rigged. We know many of the people that run these, okay? Um, they're not rigged. The, the, your, your vote can't, okay? Our democracy works. And again, we do not want people that are promoting these lies uh, anywhere in office. No. So as a C3, as we talked about a minute ago, as a C3, we cannot become politically active and say vote for this person or don't vote for that person. Right. Um, but what we can do and what we do do and have done is run educational campaigns trying to show that the elections were not rigged, mm -hmm. that your vote is safe, and in targeting especially specific areas of the country um, to where – you know, these lives seem to be the, the, the loudest. Yeah. And so our goal is to get people to believe and to reassure them that, um, you know, and we're saying this again as Republicans, you know, the, the elections were not rigged. Your vote is safe. Yeah. Well, that it, it, and this, this sense of elections being rigged or this sense of unfairness, I mean, it goes all the way to the top, doesn't it? Because just recently the U.S. Supreme Court was debating something which I call, I think, was called the independent legislature theory, which, uh, in the extreme, can say something like, "Hey, if your state legislator thinks that uh, that the that the election was stolen or rigged somehow, they can override your presidential votes and submit electors to Washington D.C. that support someone other than uh, who was popularly elected." And so that, I mean, it, it seems to me like that's even poisoning all the way up to the Supreme Court if they even start thinking about stuff like that. Yeah, you know, it's, um, you're absolutely right. So it's a, a clarification terms, you know, we are, the United States is technically not a democracy. Um, we're a constitutional republic, mm -hmm. which means that every state in general, um, and in general, they get to decide how they want to run their elections and, uh, you know, and how they want to both at the state and the federal level, you know, how they want uh, people can vote or what they can do and can't do and so forth. You know, maybe it's mail-in voting or, or in-person, whatever. So to your point, what you just brought up, that's right. So using that independent legislature and knowing that as a republic, you know, and the theory being that if a state legislature uh, thinks that it was fraud, then they can send a different electors, which could out, you know, um, which could change the uh, outcome of a major election, especially president of the United States. Yeah. So um, the the issue is that once that happens, what you know, as as we've already talked about from one nation's point of view, um, and the facts, and the facts are there was no election fraud sizable enough to change any of the elections, mm -hmm. and so. If, if these if the state legislatures claim fraudulently that there was some type of fraud and they want to send a different set of electors, that's when our republic breaks. 
Yeah. That's when democracy breaks. If they're not going to prove it, okay, and they've got a time frame in there, and people don't know this, there is a time frame to take them to the courts and to work through the court system to show or not show fraud. Yeah. If they don't do that, and they just and, – and we have already had candidates running for office that said what we were just talking about, that they would send a different set of electors if they could get elected. Once we do that, Dan, we're in a constitutional crisis and our republic breaks. Yeah, yeah. That's, and, again, that's, that's why what we're doing is so important at, at One Nation Movement because we've got to stop this nonsense. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And with regards to going to court, I think that one of the attributes of the independent legislature theory was that the legislatures would be beyond reproach. They would be beyond the reach of any court. And so, uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe you could take them to like a federal court or something like that. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's dangerous stuff that the Supreme Court is playing with. And it, it just surprises me that they would even consider it. Uh, it not only surprises me, but it, it actually alarms me that they would even consider this. But uh, we, um, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, um, I'm completely on your side. I completely agree with you. Uh, hopefully, they will come out with a ruling that puts it completely to rest forever, um, that they cannot do that, that there are some guidelines and boundaries which we just don't cross as a country. Yeah. But the other side of it, too, Dan, is the ERA, the Election Reform Act, which is sitting in Chuck Schumer's desk right now. Um, to address how they almost did overthrow and change the election. I mean, we were, we yeah. were that close. We were yeah. that close to being in a constitutional crisis in 2020, 2021. Um, and so the, the, the ERA, which, again, it's, it's, he's got the votes ready to go, um, you know, will help clarify what the vice president can do and, and some other aspects that, you know, have been a little bit vague in our in our constitutional system. Yeah, I just uh, I just hope for the day that we actually have another amendment to our constitution that just simply does away with the electoral system. That is a compromise from back in the old days when uh, there was debate between the states regarding slavery and and uh, and free states mm-hmm. and who would have what who would have what power. Uh, this is sort of left over from that, and it doesn't make any sense. But anyways, you do have to move on though. Um, I want to talk about environmental because you mentioned environmental solutions before and um, people talk about climate change. I prefer to use the term global warming, but uh, you know, a lot of people have been pushing back on the idea that the earth is warming up. But, you know, I have I've talked to a number of rural people out here that in in uh, not out here in the Midwest, but even up in, in Idaho who say that, you know, that they're living on this land that's been there for like, you know, generations and they know they have to take care of that land and climate change, global warming, whatever, is going to put more stress on their abilities to hang on to that land and, and keep it. And uh, so this, this begins, I, I would think out in the rural areas, people would start sitting up and taking notice. We had all these tornadoes, you know, sweep through Louisiana last night or the night before. And, um, and, and, you know, people living near the beach in Miami, too, who probably sweat it out every hurricane season. Like, you know, if they if they uh, if they emerge unscathed, they probably feel like they've dodged a bullet. So uh, environmental solutions are part of the mission statement at One Nation Movement. So what types of um, can we talk about what types of solutions you're working on? Yeah. So, again, it's ours as an educational program, and this is probably one of the areas where we're the most active. Um, uh, 
it's during and closer to the election time. Certainly, you know, we're very involved in the democracy that takes that takes uh, head. But, um, you know, for for the climate change and Republicans going to climate change, this is serious stuff. This is serious stuff. It Mm -hmm. will affect you. I don't care where you live. Um, And, you know, people think, well, you know, I don't live on the coast, so I don't really have to worry about climate change. Well, the you do. Because um, droughts, right. um, flooding, um, fires, uh, you know, it's not just about hurricanes and, and, and the raising, you know, the sea going up. These things will affect your food supply. They could affect your job. Um, if, you know, people don't realize it, but look at the amount of food that is grown in California. Well, they depend upon a river system and water system that is almost depleted right now yeah um these and these things will affect not just your pocketbook your ability but your ability to feed your family and if you're a farmer in the rural rural which most people are or involved in farming um all you need is one good fire or one good flood and you lose all your crops and now you have been affected by climate change yeah so while some people will say hey you know what it's i i haven't you know these things fires and flooding has happened since the beginning of time well they have but what we've shown and what has been shown as facts, and this is through NASA, is that these these incidents of flooding and fires and so forth um, have become not just worse, but they become uh, a lot more prevalent. Yeah. The hurricanes that are hitting, there's more hurricanes now, and they're a lot more deadly. Uh, the floods are worse now, and they're, they're happening more often. So um, you will be affected by this period and we've got to start taking this stuff seriously and, and let me just if i can dan i just mm-hmm. want to throw out a couple of a couple of other little facts sure. so since in the last one million years um our uh our world has not seen over 300 parts per million of co2 and so co2 for those that don't know is are one of the two principal heat trapping molecules. One of them is methane, the other one is CO2. So since one million years, we have not passed 300 parts per million of CO2 in the atmosphere. We passed it in 1950. Yeah. Now, here, here's something that's even, even another fact, and this is from NASA. I'll scare you even more. Since 1950, and just that little bitty, what is that, in less than 100 years, it's doubled again. Yeah. And so anything, and this is, a, this is a terrible state of affairs, but anything and any active changes that we do now will not even affect the outcome of climate change for our lives. What we're doing it now for, we're doing it for our kids, and we're doing it for our grandkids, because the CO2 in the atmosphere just right now, it, it will outlive us, anybody that's listening to this. So that's why it's so important that we make very strong moves in climate change to address it, um, not just for us, but for our kids and our grandkids and their kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, one other idea I wanted to bring out as well regarding climate change is that it is a national security threat, direct national security threat to a lot of our military bases, which are located, you know, near the ocean. So, you know, we're, we're mm-hmm. having, uh, it's a national security thing. 
And, and as as far as CO two goes, it it's it's um, as the oceans warm up, the ocean holds less CO two. Right now, you know, water holds a little bit of CO two, just like your soda pop, right? And um, but as the ocean warms up, it holds less CO two, so that CO two boils off from the ocean. So we get to a certain point when the, when the Earth starts warming up that it becomes like a positive feedback cycle. It starts putting more CO two into the atmosphere, which makes it even warmer. So these are uh, these are really um, really amazing statistics. I think that the parts per million of CO two is going up by two parts per million per year, or something like that. So um, it is dangerously high at this point, and uh, I agree. There's a lot of momentum build up in there in in terms of like yeah, if we do even if we stopped burning anything today, it would still take a long time for the Earth to process to reprocess all the CO two in the atmosphere. To put it back into the ground where it came from in the first place. Yeah. So to give your to give your listeners an idea. So um, again, the the two main molecules uh, for for all practical purposes that we're going to talk about for trapping heat are CO2 and methane. Methane is actually three or four times better, or three or four times worse. Is that the right way to say it? Let's yeah. See it. Let yeah. me rephrase it. That's so it actually traps heat three or four times more than. CO2 does. So yeah. people don't know that. But so it's actually even worse. But methane burns off in the environment, uh, you know, after around 10 years. Uh, CO2, while it doesn't trap as much, it can set in the environment uh, and the atmosphere for over 100 years. Yeah. And so, again, the changes that we've, as to your point, even if we stopped all CO2 emissions today, we would still be living through this throughout our lifetimes, and it will continue to get worse. The in, in, Since we've been keeping records, the hottest years have been in the last 20 years yeah. since we've kept records. And inside that 20 years, the last seven years have been the hottest of all of those. So from a trajectory, you know, we're going, we're going the wrong direction yeah. here. We're accelerating. And, you know, yeah, you're, you're you're mentioning you're mentioning the ocean. Let's talk about the permafrost, because as it gets warmer, there's enormous amounts of CO2 locked into the permafrost. As it gets warmer, it starts bleeding this off, and the more it bleeds off, the more it traps CO2. More CO2 causes more heat. The more it it, it defrosts yeah. and puts more CO2 in the environment. So you're right. We're in a a positive feedback loop that we've got to do something serious about to stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to run out of time pretty soon, but I really want to hit one more topic here, which is a very, very important. We talked about it earlier, national debt. And I know that our debt to GDP ratio just exceeded 100%. And that means that our now GDP is the total market value of all the finished goods and services that are produced uh, in our nation over an entire year which basically means we owe more than our, than what any sort of um, um, value of finished goods and services that we produce in one year. Um, this is seems to be pretty bad uh, on a personal level. Um, you know, okay, we all owe mortgages on our houses, which in my case exceeds my annual um, ability to earn. But I think with countries, it's a little bit different. So can you explain, um, first of all, why this is a problem and... Um, and who do we owe this money to? Where is this Where is this debt going? Yeah, so you, you bring up a good point. Um, around 2014, the United States for, uh, 
I don't think it was for the first time ever. I think during World War II this happened as well. Mm-hmm. But um, we passed 100% of GDP in a debt-to-GDP ratio. And so um, since then, in uh, roughly 2020, and part of this was because of COVID, but we ran up to 130% of our GDP, and today it's back down to 120%. So why is this important? Why should anybody care? Well, um, we've been lucky, and, and I'm, again, I'm using this in quotation marks, that uh, for the last 20 years or so, we've had remarkably low uh, interest rates. Uh, interest rates, as anybody knows, especially if you've tried to take out a house loan, are going up. They're going up very fast. And so this debt could be owed by – a lot of it could be owed by China. It could be picked up by different countries. And um, as that interest rate goes up, then we're paying interest on this debt to foreign countries. Mm -hmm. And so this becomes very important for those uh, that are worried about our sovereignty, because when you have foreign countries that, uh, that that own that much of your debt, you're literally going to be having to take your interest payments, okay, your tax dollars, and you're sending them to China. No. Who wants yeah. to do that? And it's it's ridiculous. And, and you know, it, as the interest rates continue to climb, that means that you're very likely going to see a raise in taxes. You're very likely going to see even less things getting done from projects, or uh, you know, maybe it's new highways or any other number of things uh, from either a federal or a state and local uh, uh, taxation rate that you're, you're going to be paying a lot more and seeing a whole lot less. Yeah. This will affect you. And at some point, it's just not going to be sustainable. So within the next 50 years, within the next 50 years, our interest rate that we're paying or the interest on our debt could be almost as much as the debt we're seeing right now. Mm. And so I would, I would point people to the CBO, um, Congressional Budgeting Office, uh, and to other organizations and, and just become a little bit educated on this train wreck, fiscal train wreck that we're on. And people have been saying this for years and years. And typically, you know, it's been the Republicans that are the most concerned about it. But listen, both parties, both yeah. parties have run up the national debt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think Donald Trump did over $7 trillion. You know, Joe Biden, I, I don't even know where we're at with his. I think we're north of that. Um, and, uh, you know, Obama did what nearly 10 billion. And so again, I'm, I'm not picking on either party I'm picking on both of them. It's got to stop. We've got to start becoming more reasonable on how we're doing our spending because just like climate change, this will affect your children. And yeah. if you don't want to pay more in taxes and see less things get done, then we've got to start addressing the national debt right now. And I'm going to ask a very explosive question right here. Uh, what happens if we default? I mean, what what if what if uh, we get some sort of radical leader in place, and he say he or she says, "Forget it, we're not going to pay back this debt. We're just going to wipe the slate clean at this point and start over with Bitcoin or something like that." I mean, what what happens in that situation? Yeah, I, you know that's a that's a great question. What are we looking at? An Argentina type of you know scenario. Um, it's I well let me back up and say one thing mm-hmm. um, so that the, the the House of Representatives has gets to tie the budget strings right they're the ones that set the budget 
Um, and as I'm sure everybody has heard that's in politics at all, um, they, uh, the current House, which is controlled by the Democrats, has cut a deal with the Senate to, and Mitch McConnell to you know, fund the government, I guess, it's at least for the next 12 months or better. Yeah. However, the, the current incoming Republicans and some of the very loud voices have been coming out very frustrated with McConnell for even taking this deal because what they want to do is that they want to threaten uh, and be able to get their way by threatening a default on our debt. Yeah. And I can't tell you how crazy that is. So you, you brought up a default. I think a default is a is a real possibility, but not just because of our rising debt, which is which is as we've already talked about, is very bad, but because of politics. And people, you know, should not our elected leaders should not be using the potential to default the United States to default on its debt just to, to get something politically uh, that they want to get passed or not passed or something like that. And so I think the risk of a default is, is very high um, in the next few years, but not probably not because of the national debt, just because of our broken political system. Yeah. Yeah. They tried playing that game a couple of years ago too. And it was, that's a, that's a bit of brinkmanship right there that can, I mean, you're just playing with, with fire, literally. I mean, you're really. Um, well, you do. But you do because if you do and you default, and all of a sudden the uh, you know the perfect credit score that the United States has, uh, well, you know, it's going to drop significantly. What happens when your credit score drops significantly? That means that to borrow the same amount of money, you have to pay a lot more interest on it. So they're actually going to hurt their constituents, the very people that they're representing, yeah. by doing that. Yeah. So that's how short-sighted it is. Yes. Kind of reminds me of the sheriff on Blazing Saddles when he puts the gun against his own head and says, uh, stand back, I'm going to kill this man. <laughs> it's a situation like that. Um, okay, good. So I think we pretty much need to wrap it up at this point, but I'd like to hit this call to action section. Uh, where can people go to find out more about One Nation Movement? Yeah, so it's uh, exactly what you said. It's onenationmovement.com, just as it, just as it reads. Um, we've got a lot of information, a lot of links. You can read a lot more about climate change, the national debt, or our, our democracy initiatives. Um, we'd love to get you to you know help out again, since we're a C3. Any money that you give us are completely tax deductible, um, and they'll be used for a good purpose. It's all about saving our our country and our planet in our in our republic and those three things aren't important to you then i don't i don't i don't know what is so yeah thank you very much dan and, and again we it's, i'm happy to answer any questions um uh, that anybody wants to send over and um yeah thank okay. you very much for having me on your podcast Dan. okay ryan that's uh, one nation movement.com all one word one nation movement.com We've been talking with Brian Mistro, founder and president of One Nation Movement. Brian, thank you for joining us on Democracy on the Move today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dan. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions or if you'd like to sponsor a future episode, We'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org contact. 
Democracy and the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead, and we hope you'll tune in again next week. <laughs>